Good morning. How many of you have ever been in a bad collision? A bad collision. A number of you, huh? Okay, well, a number of years ago, um, I was in a bad collision. I was driving. Um, I was uh, about 22 years old. I was going down a hill, and I was driving a clutch, a car that had the three pedals on the bottom. And um, I did something really dumb, but I, I reached down to try to fix my shoe as I was going down this hill, and then I realized, well, I'm getting close to the stop sign, so I better stop. So I, I, when I put my foot down, I hit the clutch instead of the brake. And for those of you who've driven a manual, you know what that does is it just makes the car go faster. And so I went right through the stop sign, and um, it was coming, the street was a T, and I was going through a major street, and I went through the stop sign, and I hit smack dab in the side of a, a van. It wasn't a minivan. It was a large-sized van. And um, I just hit it really, really hard. And then um, my car got all smashed, and it turned to the right. And the minivan hit the median in the middle and started to turn over. Uh, but fortunately, it didn't. And it skidded to a stop. All right? um, I was right across the street from, it was right across the street from a fire station. And the impact and the noise got the attention of the firemen, and they came running across the street to check on both of me and the other driver. And the other driver was okay, uh, but I had hit my head on the side of the window, so they were checking me out, and they took me over to the, the, the fire station. Okay, So there I was in the fire station. And I was there for maybe about 10 minutes, and all of a sudden, my dad rushed in. My dad just ran into the fire station, and, and he was just sort of like panting, and his voice was, was shaking, and he said, are you okay? And what had happened was um, my dad had, not on purpose, but he had left the house after me, and we take the same path out of the house together. And so he had gone down the same street, seen my car, knew it was my car, saw it was all smashed, didn't see me in the car, asked around, found out that I was over at the fire station, and took me there. I went over there and then made sure that I was okay. We all get into collisions at time in our life. And like my dad, only much more so, our Heavenly Father cares about what happens. Our Heavenly Father is there to care about every collision that happens in our lives. Now, most of the time, we see these collisions as bad things, like car accidents. We think of collisions usually as things that are rather violent. Um, Football, for example, can be a rather violent collision. Uh, We think of collisions in the world that cause um, great problems, like the Titanic and the collision with an iceberg. We think of collisions as things that may have great power, um, like a baseball and a bat, Or like what happens when a match meets with gas. Those types of collisions and those things that create impact in our lives, explosions as they are, oftentimes are seen as bad or difficult things. They can harm us. They can hurt us. But there's a collision that happened a long time ago that was greater than all of these collisions multiplied together. A collision that was greater than anything we could ever have imagined to have ever happened. No one ever thought this type of collision would happen. Even though 
as we've been reading about it in the story, the whole Old Testament is telling us this collision is coming. This collision is coming. It's just like they're always telling us that the big one is coming, right? You know, the, the big earthquake is coming. It's, it's going to happen. But, but we just go on as if it's not really going to happen, right? You know, but they tell us it's going to come. And so the whole world in the Old Testament is being told this collision is coming, but the people are going, no, it hasn't happened yet. Can't see it. It's, it's probably not going to happen. It, it's, it's, it's just a myth. It's not real. But then it does come, and it does happen. And God has a plan. And we've been talking about that plan throughout the Old Testament as we look at the story. And as we look at the plan, we see that there are two things going on. There is the upper story, which is everything that we can read about in the Bible, what we've been reading about. These are what God plans to do. That's why there are prophets. They're telling us what's going to happen. And when they happen, they say, that's why it happened. This is why it was there. This is what you are to see. This is the upper story. God has a plan. God's plan was always a good plan. He wanted Adam and Eve to walk with him. He wanted Adam and Eve to know him. But they sinned. But from that moment on, God's plan wasn't destroyed. He was still on plan A. And that plan was that if they're not going to walk with me in this way, then I'm going to provide an opportunity for them to walk with me again in yet another way. And so he starts with Abraham, and he begins to build a nation of people who will walk with him, even though they sin, who will know him, who will enjoy him, who will have a life on earth that makes a difference because they're walking in plan A with God. Now, we have plans in our lives, and we have ideas of what we want to happen in our lives. We have our own idea of plan A, but God has the ultimate plan to guide our lives. And a lot of times, we're just not ready for it, or we don't expect it to happen, but it does. And God's going to bring it, because he loves us. And he's going to bring about this collision of the upper story and the lower story in a personal way. He's going to bring about a collision that brings his word to earth to speak to us. And this collision is, as Jerry said, it's called Christmas it's the collision of God's plan in the upper story, what he's always spoken about, to become in the flesh real in our lives in the lower story. And so now, for the rest of the reading of the story, from chapter 22 to 31, we now have God in the flesh here on earth speaking to us, both through Jesus and through his apostles, so that we will know that God is with us, but not just that he's with us, but that he's actually within us. That's how present God is. This collision is not meant just to invade planet Earth. It's meant to invade my heart and your heart and our heart together. And that this is God's plan. This is why the birth of the king happened. And so if you want to look in your notes, you'll see that we're reading from John chapter 1 today. And we want to see how God collides with us. And the first way that God collides with us is through his word. And by his word, he creates the world so that we can personally see him as he reveals himself. And so God's word creates the world, revealing himself in a personal way to us. He revealed himself in the creation of the world in Genesis, but now he's going to create a new creation 
a new world order for us, a way that we can personally see God. So you have John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, up there on the screen. Uh, Would you read it with me? We'll say it together. Let's begin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And so what God's Word is telling us here is that there is something that He is speaking to us. That's what words are for. Notice that the word is mentioned three times. And in the Bible, when a word is mentioned three times in a row, that is the ultimate means of emphasis. Three times of repetition is the maximum time a word is mentioned in a row in the Bible. And it's saying, pay attention to this. This is God's word to us three times. And the word here is the Greek word logos. And logos is the word that we get our logic from. Logical. And what John is saying to us here is that God is speaking to us through the Logos. He's speaking us through the Word, an intelligent Word that brings about an understanding of who He is. But it's also something that's extremely logical. It's logical for God to come to this point of bringing this collision into our world so that we can know Him. That God wants to do in the flesh what he once did by just speaking his word. In the beginning is what we read in John, the fourth gospel of the New Testament. But it's the first words of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. How we began the story over 21 weeks ago in chapter 1 was with the same three words. In the beginning. At that time, we read that God had said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then God spoke. And when God said, let there be light, there was light. And God's word creates. God's word brings life. You think about it. For us, we want the same thing to happen too. We want our words to bring forth life. Life. We want our words to bring forth something that is of meaning and has a relationship with us. We use our words to communicate with one another. If I meet somebody and I think that I might like to get to know them better, I will use my words. I will speak kindly to them. If I'm going to an interview okay, and I want the job, I'm going to use my words as best as I can to speak in nice ways so that hopefully this person is going to want to continue to relate to me and that I'll have a good relationship. If I like somebody a little more special, I'm going to use my words even in a little more special way so that maybe they'll go out on a date with me or spend some more time with me. And then I may use my words if that person turns out to be the right one and I'm going to use my words in the best way possible to propose to somebody and say, will you marry me? And then if those words work out, then I'm going to get to a point in my life where I'm going to want to have children, all right? And then if I have children, I'm going to use my words again. When they cry, I'm going to use my words to comfort them. As they grow, I'm going to use my words to teach them. If they do something wrong, I'm going to use my words to instruct them, to correct them, to warn them. The other day I was coming out of a restaurant, and as I was coming out, this little child ran right by me. All right, so I hold the door open, the child runs out, and then I try to walk in, and the mother runs out. Right? And the child was running right for the street, and the mother yells, stop! Right? So I stopped. Right? 
but she wasn't talking to me. She was talking to her child who was running out into the street. Words were meant there to save a life. God uses his words the whole way to give life and to save life. Words are meant to communicate to us so that we can know how to live in the best way possible. God's communicating to you right now. He's communicating to you ultimately and primarily through the word of God. And he wants to do it every day. He's communicating with you every day whether or not we're listening. Just think about it. There's all kinds of waves going through this room right now, waves we cannot see. There are cell phone waves that are going through here. And all of us have different types of providers. So my phone won't work with your provider. Your phone won't work with my provider. There are TV waves going through here right now. There are radio waves going through here right now. We have Wi-Fi waves going through here right now. And the only way we can access any of those waves is if we have the correct device that's tuned into that kind of wave. You have to have the exact correct device to be able to get the station and to hear it clearly. And each one of us right now, we have all these waves going right through our bodies and we can't feel it at all. Hundreds. Hundreds of waves going right through us. And each one provides a distraction in our lives and each one provides an opportunity in our lives and each one keeps our lives very busy and keeps the economy going. These waves, they have many things that they do in this world. But none of those waves bring us in touch with God's word. There's only one thing that God wants to communicate with us and that is through his word, and through the device of our minds. It is our mind that is that. It's like our mind is the SIM card that will allow us to get God's signal and be on his address, to be able to hear what he has to say to us. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, you have the word written down there on your outline. And it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just the reading of God's word is enough to begin to clear our minds to receive his word. Just the reading of it, just hearing it out loud is enough to begin. And we have to have that discipline. That's why like last week we talked about it. We said we challenge you, that we challenge ourselves to read the story Ten chapters that is going to bring us through the whole New Testament. And so this past week, we've been reading chapter 22. Next week, we're going to read chapter 23. And we were talking about this last week, that if we just took four days, three or four days each week, and we read out loud the chapter of the story for about five minutes, it's about three or four pages, you'll finish reading the story in that time, in that 15, 20 minutes. And so, for example, this week, you can write this down. If you have the NIV version of the story, if you have this version of the story, um, you can read pages 321 through 323. And next week we're going to be talking about Jesus' ministry beginning. But after dinner, just leave this book on your table. 
And just say, before you clean up the table, we're just going to read a few pages from the story. And just read it, 321 to 323. And then the next day or the day after, read a few more pages, 24 through 26, and then 27 through 30, and then 31 through 34, and you've done it. It's not that hard. It's an effort that we take to read together. And for those of us that are in families, this exposes the word to your children. And if your children or your wife or your husband doesn't want to do it, um, just take it to a higher source. Say that, you know, I was in church today and, and God told me that we need to read this. Just take it to the highest source. Blame it on God. Say, you know, I think God would want us to read this. And read it out loud if you're not reading it in other ways. So that your family is exposed to it. Because when we read, we understand. We don't understand everything at first, but we have to begin with something like that. Just think about it. When I was a child, my parents read to me. Did I understand anything? Hardly anything. When I read to my children when they were little, I would open up a picture book. And I would read to them. They could not read. But because we read the same picture books all the time, it was as if they did read because they memorized the words. They memorized what I was saying, though they couldn't read. And they could literally read along with us as we read through these storybooks, even though they couldn't read the words. They had heard our words repeated over and over again. We read to children before they can read so that they can read. We read the children early in their lives so that they can become familiar with the words even though they don't yet understand them so that they will understand them. And this is what God would have for us to do for ourselves and for our children and for those that we care about. To be reading with them and to read the story so that we can know the word of God and that we know the word of God not just as the printed word of God but who it speaks about Because that's what this is about in John chapter 1. It's about how God speaks to us through Jesus. And the word here is a synonym for Jesus. And what he's telling us as we read there is that the word is God. The Bible says the word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And so this word was with God speaking, even when God created the world. And this word is a word that becomes flesh, as we will see. And this word is the new creation of Jesus, of Jesus being with us, of Jesus being perfect God always, and now being created on Christmas as perfect man revealing himself to us, this new creation. In verse 4, we read that God's life is going to come to the world and that this life is going to shine as a light, that life and light go together and that they defeat darkness so that God's life shines, his light, and removes the darkness. Would you read with me verses 4 through 5? Let's say it together. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This life is the word, and the word is Jesus. And this life is to bring to us an understanding of God's desire to bring the light into a place of darkness. 
This collision that comes when the upper story of God infuses his life into our world, brings light to expose darkness. It's a collision that separates light and darkness. It tells us what is evil. It tells us what is good. It tells us what is right. It tells us what is wrong. And it brings life and it will bring an end to death if we will let that light shine in our hearts. This light shines goodness. And this light is meant to be shared with others. We all know, I think, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And that God wants the world to see the light. God wants us to share the light. God wants us to be reflectors of the light. God wants us to shine his light in the world. In a few weeks, we'll celebrate Easter as we are in Lent right now. And on Easter Sunday, we always have a lunch together. And it's oftentimes a, a, way, a way and a means, a very easy way and means for us to invite our friends because a lot of people are willing to go to church, at least on Easter and Christmas. And I want you to think about right now, who's somebody that you wish would come to church with you on Easter? Who's somebody that, that you care about who, who isn't walking with the Lord? Maybe they've been a Christian for a while, but they just, they're not walking with God. And you really want them to walk with God as you are. And you want to walk with God with them. You want to help them. A friend, a family member, a neighbor, somebody you work with, a roommate. Who would that person be? Who's somebody that you know that that you wish that the light and the life of Christ would come into their life. Maybe they're going through some hard times. Maybe you can tell, and they know themselves, but they just don't know how to get out of the darkness. And you know that you don't have the ability to bring them out of the darkness, but you know that God does. I want you to think about that person right now, or those people. I want you to just to jot down their name or their initials on your outline as you're thinking about it. So that you can be praying for them. That you can be praying for this person, praying for these people, praying for these friends, praying this family. Now that's our purpose in this world. What would happen if the sun stopped shining? We would all die. The world will die if the light of Christ doesn't shine on it. The greatest power and the greatest purpose that you and I have is to reflect the light of Christ. There's nothing more important, nothing more lasting, nothing more enjoyable than sharing life with other people and sharing the life of Christ with them, of sharing the love of God with them, of sharing the hope of Jesus with them, of bringing the word of God to them. Who would you pray for? At the end of um, today's sermon, We'll have a time of prayer. We'll have some prayer teams. And one of the things you can do is you can go up to one of the prayer team members and intercede for this friend. Just say, you know, I want to pray. Oh, would, you, would you pray with me for so-and-so so that they would come to church with me or they would come to know Jesus? Some of you have shared the story with people and you've given it to them so that they might read it. You can be praying for them that they will continue to read it or that they would read it that you might tell them, you know, we're still talking about the story on Easter. We're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. 
you know, would you come with me? Would you stay with us and have lunch afterwards? Well, who are these people? I want you to write their names down. I want you to be thinking about them and praying for them. Because that's the purpose that we are as a church, is to shine God's light and to share his love. That's why Jesus became a man. That he became incarnate, God in the flesh. He humbled himself to walk with us. And we humble ourselves to walk with him. God wants to make us into a new creation. He collides with us every day. The thing is that we just need to be aware of those places of collision. And he never collides with us to destroy us. He always collides with us to remake us and to make us into his own image, to turn us into something that is new and fresh. Even as we grow older, there is a desire in our life to still do new things, to still create, to still have something of value to give. And if we are believers, then we have something always till the day we die of something to give, of something to share. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That God's life brings light. And we're in springtime. Well, we're almost in springtime. As Jerry said, it's more like we just sort of skip spring and jump to summer. But on the calendar, we're going to jump into spring later this month. And it's a time of growth. It's when the light that comes from the sun begins to warm the soil. And the water that's in the soil begins to feed the seeds. And together they work and to bring growth. And the Bible says that we can water and we can plant. But only God can make it grow. And our desire is to pray so that this life and this light will shine into the darkness. So that new creations will come about. So that we will be a new creation as well. That there is reason for hope in our lives. Because God brings a new creation. And God brings this creation personally through his son. And so God's son comes and he collides with us, but he goes more than just coming into this world. He comes and he wants to collide to dwell within us so that we can know him fully and know his glory. So we continue to read in John chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Would you, would you read these out loud with me? Let's say it together. Yet to all who did receive him. Next slide. There we go. Let's say it together. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God came so that we might know what it means to be born of God. That we might know what it means not to be born just of a human decision, but to be born of a decision that God has chosen us to be born into this life. That we are not an accident. That we are here in this world for a purpose. And that purpose is to be reborn in God. That God, in his humility, became a child, just as we were once children. That we would know that God understands everything that we go through as he grew and experienced life, much as we experience life. 
that God would have us to know that we can experience new birth all the time. New birth is an exciting experience. I was there all three times that Carol gave birth, and all three are memorable. Each one has a very special memory in a very special way. How many of you have been present at the birth of a child? How many of you have been present? Actually, all of you have. All right? Right? You were present at your own birth. All right? You're present. All of us were present at the birth of a child at least once. Our birth. But how many of us remember what that was like? None of us, right? Unless you have a really, really good memory. What was it like to be born? Well, Philip Yancey, in his book, Where is God When It Hurts, imagines if we could remember what it was like when we were born. And he says this, Your world is dark, safe, secure. You are bathed in warm liquid, cushioned from shock. You do nothing for yourself. You are fed automatically. And a murmuring heartbeat assures you that someone larger than you fills all your needs. Your life consists of simple waiting. You're not sure what to wait for, but any change seems far away and scary. You meet no sharp objects, no pain, no threatening adventures, a fine existence. One day, you feel a tug. The walls are falling in on you. Those soft cushions are now pulsing, beating against you, crushing you downwards. Your body is bent double, your limbs twisted and wrenched. You're falling upside down. For the first time in your life, you feel pain. You are in a sea of roiling matter. There is more pressure, almost too intense to bear. Your head is squeezed flat. And you are pushed harder and harder into a dark tunnel. Oh, the pain, noise, more pressure. You hurt all over. You hear a groaning sound. An awful, an awful sudden fear rushes in on you. It's happening. Your world's collapsing. You're sure it's the end. You see a piercing, blinding light. Cold, rough hands pull at you. A painful slap. Congratulations. You've just been born. Now, we don't remember that. But that is what it was like. Unless you were a C-section baby. And then you had your own trauma to deal with. Birth gives life. And all of us want life. All of us want to live. All of us want to continue to experience life. But just like when we were born, if we're going to experience life today, we're going to have to experience pain as well. We're going to have to experience the good pain of growing. The good pain of what God brings into our life. The good pain of reaching out to people who need to hear Jesus' love, even though we're scared, even though we're afraid, even though it may hurt. God wants us to bear the pains of childbirth so that we can grow into the likeness of Jesus. And he wants us also to bear the pains of childbirth so that other people can become like 
Jesus. God wants us to bear pain for other people. So not just mothers, but all of us to bear pain, to give birth to other people in their lives so they can experience life. Paul put it this way in Galatians 4, 19, as he speaks to his church. And he says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So our birth isn't the end, it is the beginning. We are not yet fully formed as human beings just after we are born. But we are now available and able to be transformed into real living beings, filled with God, filled with hope, filled with life. That's why Jesus came into this world. That's why Jesus became flesh and bones. That's why Jesus came as perfect God and perfect man to dwell among us, is so that we could have him in our lives with us, inside our bodies, even as he came in the body to live in this world. We read about it here in John where it says, The Word became flesh, that is Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This word dwelling can also be translated as tent. That God set his tent among us. Some translations can also be it tabernacled among us. In the Old Testament, we read about Moses taking the people through the desert for the 40 years. And God says, I want to dwell in the midst of these people. So Moses, I want you to build me a tabernacle, which was like a portable church. And so they built a tabernacle so that God could dwell among his people. And when the tabernacle was put up and the tent was made, the Bible tells us that the glory of God filled the tabernacle God's presence came and went into the tabernacle so the people could literally see that God was saying, I am with you even though you're in the desert. And then when they made it to the promised land, they finally were able to get away from the building of the tabernacle to have a permanent structure called a temple. And so God gave the plans to David and David gave the plans to Solomon and Solomon built the temple. And the Bible tells us that when Solomon finished building the temple, that the glory of God came down and filled the temple with himself. And so it's always been God's intent to fill a tent to fill a tabernacle, to fill a temple, to fill a church, and to fill his people with himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the Bible tells us, and we, that's you and me, and we, who with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How does God dwell in us? He dwells in us through His Spirit. He dwells with us in His glory, with ever-increasing glory. And He wants to change us. He wants to transform us to be more like Jesus. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, God wants you to be like Jesus. As I see some of you, I see you pointing. God wants you to be like Jesus. I I can see spouses saying that to each other. God wants you to be like Jesus. Okay, now I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God wants me to be like Jesus. 
God wants me to be like Jesus. He wants me to be filled with Jesus. I mean, as a parent, you know, one of the things that makes me really happy is when somebody says, oh, your children bear resemblance to you. They look just like you. And then I always say to my children, I'm really sorry about that. Okay. No. But God wants us to bear his likeness. Would anybody say, you know, you remind me of Jesus? Would anybody say that? We're going through a study book with some young couples in this church. And um, the book is called Sacred Marriage. And the author asks a question because the Bible talks about God sending his son Jesus to marry his bride. And so Jesus is the groom and the church is his bride. And then the Bible says that the parallel to that in our lives is the man, the husband who takes his bride. And the man is like Jesus And the woman is like the church. And so the question was asked of the men in this book. Does your wife feel like she's married to Jesus? Does your wife feel like she's married to Jesus? God wants all of us to bear resemblance to Jesus. We get this by the reading of his word. We get this through prayer. We get this by bringing the hurts that we have in our lives to God. Again, we're going to go into a time of prayer in just a few minutes as we sing. And these are opportunities for us to pray for other people or to pray for ourselves. And this is an opportunity for us to reestablish our faith if it hasn't been strong. Or maybe to establish it for the first time if you're just not sure that you are a Christian. You can go up to any one of the prayer team members and just say, I really want to pray that I know that Christ is in me. Tomorrow we celebrate what? St. Patrick's Day. Okay, who is St. Patrick? Anybody know who St. Patrick is? He's a leprechaun? Okay. Uh, wrong. All right. Who is St. Patrick? Who? He priests and evangelists. You're reading the notes. Thank you. All right. He's a priest and evangelist in Ireland in the 300s. He brought the gospel to the island of Ireland. He shared it throughout the whole of that land. And it changed the land as the gospel of Jesus went into it. How it became a celebration in bars, I do not know. All right? But that's not what it's about. St. Patrick was about Jesus. And about sharing Jesus with other people. And he was known not only for his preaching, he was known not only for his love, but he was known for his prayers. And this is one of his prayers, and you have it there in your outline. And St. Patrick says this, Christ be with me. Christ be before me. Christ be behind me. Christ be within me. Christ to comfort me and restore me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. I wonder which one of those might be prayers that you have. 
You're going through a hard time. Christ be with me. You don't know exactly where to go and you need him to lead you. Christ be before me. You're scared and you want to run away. But you need to know someone's got your back. Christ be behind me. You're feeling a tug and a hurt or an emptiness or a yearning inside of you. Christ be within me. You're feeling a sadness, a brokenness, a pain, a sorrow. Christ, comfort me. You're feeling a need and a desire to grow and be strong again. Christ, restore me. You feel like you're losing some footing in this world. Christ, be beneath me. And you long to live in a world in a place that is greater than this place that we call earth. And you look up and you say, Christ, you are above me. This is what the birth of the king means to us, is that Christ is here. And he's collided with our world so that he can collide with our lives, so that he can dwell in our hearts. And he invites you to come to him. And we invite you to come to him. And we invite you to go to the prayer teams as we sing and just bring any prayer that you want. Maybe if you want, you just sit there and pray with the person on your left or right. But pray and sing, knowing that Christ is here. He is with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you for your goodness that speaks to us through your word. We thank you for the promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you for the promise that if anyone will come to you, he will become a new creation. She will become made new. That if anyone turns to Jesus and receives him, he'll be called a child of God. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would move in our hearts even now. Receive our worship. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We give you praise and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.